just a few verses. 1 Peter 5, 12 through 14, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. I know it seems strange to stand for a few verses, but this is the word of God. This is God's word for us today. And you all are here today. Thank you for being here today. Not everyone is here this morning, as is evident. Uh, The people whose resolution was to get up earlier have failed already, so be praying for them. They did not get off to a good start. But you are all here, and uh, for those of you who are going to watch online today, uh, know that we hear, uh, know that you are not with us, and we're judging you silently in our hearts, because you slept in. We do want to encourage you today, though, with First Peter, because Peter is wrapping up what he hopes is, what he hopes is a true encouragement for the body of Christ. We want to encourage you because Peter wants to encourage us to have lasting hope, not hope that is here for a week, not hope that's based on something like a New Year's resolution, which everybody seems to know is destined to fail. Right? This is lasting hope. This is ongoing hope. And our series, Where Is Your Hope?, has tackled a number of the things. You can kind of see them. They're kind of grayed out on the screen. But a lot of the things that we place our hope in that are not lasting, things like Um, Our retirement, things like pleasure, comfort, family, power, all of those things that are listed there, and many more. There are many things that we place our hope in that are temporary things, things that are not designed to last, things that won't last. Peter has his own list. If you read through 1 Peter, there are a number of things that he mentions that don't last. One of them, right away in the beginning of the book, is untested faith. And he does not say, if you read, pardon me, if you read 1 Peter 1.7, it doesn't say untested faith is not lasting hope. But what he says is that when your faith is tested, it results in in something that is beautiful and that is lasting and that that is kept in heaven for you, that's secure for you, that's lasting. And so the opposite, we have to understand, is a problem, that if our faith is not tested, if we just say, I believe in Jesus and I want to come here, I want to come to church, I want to wave the I believe in Jesus flag and then go home and live as though that's not true, that that's not sufficient, that that's untested faith, that that's not significant in the way that we need it to be. This is not lived faith, that's just declared faith. So untested faith, ignorant passions, things that you're passionate about that you have no business being passionate about, that you are only passionate about when you're ignorant of the truth. Peter mentions that again in in 2.11. Disobedience to the truth. How would that be a source of hope to be disobedient to the truth? Well, you tell me. Think about all the times in your life when you've known what is right to do and you've chosen not to do what's right. And you've put your hope in what is not right. Think about all of the different times, even perhaps in the last week. Right? A lot of you have been home. You've had vacation. you spent time at home. You've made choices at home. Sometimes just small things where you know it's not the right thing to do. But in that moment, you're putting your hope in the thing that feels good or the thing that you want to do. And Peter says, listen, if you're disobedient to the truth, that's not going to end up producing lasting hope. And ultimately, ultimately, this is about serving self instead of serving God. And Peter says, that's not going not to help you either. That's not going to produce lasting hope. 
you are going to be tempted even today, probably even before you leave the building, you are going to be tempted to put hope in yourself, to put hope in the decision that you can make, that you can make the best decision for yourself. And Peter says, if you're trying to serve yourself instead of serving God, that that's not going to produce lasting hope. He does say, however, as he wraps up this book, and maybe you didn't catch it because what he's doing is he's referring back to in 12, um, I'm sorry, yeah, 12 and 13 and 14, he's referring back to all he's written. So you might have missed it. It's, it's in there. Trust me, we'll see how it's in there. But he is saying this. He says, if you've placed your hope and trust in Jesus, you have been given lasting hope. Right? If you believe in Jesus, if you say, I recognize you as my Lord and Savior, I want you to be Lord of my life, then you have lasting hope. It's been given to you. It's a gift, a free gift. But he says there should be evidence of that. It should look a certain way in your life. So if you have it, you need to live as though you have it. And here's what it looks like. You're going to need to embrace both the fact that you are in exile and that you are elect. This is a difficult thing for us. We don't, we don't quite know how to deal with this. We want to be one or the other. We want to be elect. We want to be chosen. We want to be picked. We don't want to be exiles. But we have to be exiles. We'll talk about why here in just a minute. But Peter says, if you want to live as though you have lasting hope, both of these have to live inside of you in tension. How many of you remember uh, when for like 17 years there was a high V that was going to be built on uh, Forever Green Road? Do you guys remember this? There was even t-shirts made, Ray Gunn made t-shirts that said uh, North Liberty getting a high V since like 1995 or something like that, right? It was kind of a joke because they were going to build this high V. It was going to be there. It was a subject of conversation, but it wasn't there. They didn't break ground forever. There was just a sign. It was already there in our minds, but not yet. And this is the way it is with Jesus's kingdom. In Mark, which we're going to get to next fall, in Mark Jesus is always talking about how the kingdom of God is at hand. And it is, because Jesus has come. But when we look outside of our window and when we go about our lives and we turn on the television, we see that the kingdom of God is not fully realized yet. And so it's an already, but not yet. We're going to talk about how embracing that idea of being exiles in this world, but also being chosen by God is important. We have to stand firm in the grace that he has given us. Remember I said just a minute ago that if we placed our hope and trust in Jesus, we've been given lasting hope. We're going to talk about in a minute in Romans where, where Paul says, look, it's while we're yet sinners that Christ saves us. So that lasting hope has been given to us. It's ours already. It's ours. But we have to stand firm in that grace, which is going to look like something. It's going to look like loving the body of Christ. It's going to look like loving our brothers and sisters, depending on them even when we feel like we don't want to because this is the body that Christ has given us and because he wants to use this body, all of us, to house his Holy Spirit. So this is what it looks like to have lasting hope. All of it is in those three verses, I promise, but it's going to take God to show it to us. So let's pray a minute as we continue. God, I pray that you would, in fact, show us from your word what it means to have this lasting hope that is ours in you, Jesus. Show us what it means to live as though we believe that we have lasting hope. Lord, help us to understand um, how we can wait through this period of exile, trusting that your election, your calling is sure. Trusting, Lord, that we have a hope that is everlasting, uh, salvation that is awaiting us, that is kept in heaven for us, Lord, where it's not going to fade, it's not going to die. Help us to believe that this morning. 
pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm starting with uh, 1 Peter 5.13 because Peter, in that verse, I know it's 12, 13, and 14 today, but Peter, in that verse, refers right back to the beginning of the book. He says, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Now, there are some really good reason to be confused if you've read this book and you've read these last few verses and you've looked at that and you've said, now, wait a minute, who is Peter talking about? He has not mentioned a woman yet. He's talking about Babylon, which at the time he's writing doesn't really exist, is not really a city, and is likewise chosen. If you've read that and you were confused, understood. There's, there's probably a good reason for you to be confused. Because what Peter's doing is he's closing a letter. This letter, you guys have probably heard the epistles, were designed to be read out loud. They were designed to be read in one sitting. And so if you were original recipients of this letter, somebody would have stood up and they would have read it start to finish. And so he would have assumed that as a hearer of this word. You would have known that likewise chosen is referring back to the very first verses. So I put them up on the screen for us. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. Elect means chosen, right? When you guys go to the voting booth and you elect an official, you are choosing an official that you want to represent you. And so election is about choosing. And Peter is saying, she who is at Babylon is likewise chosen. Now, where is Babylon? If Babylon doesn't exist, if it's not a city. We don't have time this morning to go through Daniel. But if you go through Daniel... Daniel uses Babylon to represent Rome. And so Bible scholars, church historians, think that Peter is using the church and she as synonyms here, and Babylon and Rome as synonyms here, so that he can write to the church without fear of excess condemnation, so that he can write without their messages being interpreted and without the church in Rome being persecuted unnecessarily. So she, the church who is at Babylon, Rome, is likewise chosen, and that church sends you greetings, the people that he's writing to. So the reason that I go through to explain this is because this choosing is important. It's important for Peter. He mentions it twice. He mentions at the beginning that Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, is writing to those who are elect um, in the dispersion, and also that the church in Rome is likewise chosen. This is an important concept. He wants people to know that the choosing is important. Why is it important? Quick review for those of you who have not maybe read the Bible as closely as you should. Genesis 1 says, God made, made mankind to live with him. That was his plan. That was his desire. If you read Genesis 1, it is about the perfect creation that God uh, made, that he had everything planned out so that humans man and woman, would live with God and he'd be in right relationship with him. That's his plan. But then humans chose their own way. Humans chose to abandon God. And so since the fall, if you read in Genesis 3, you'll see that we're wandering, we're exiles. We can no longer be in our home. So we were made to live with God. He created a home for us. And then we chose to leave. And we have been gone ever since. And God, ever since, has been working to restore, to redeem that home. His plan involving Jesus spans all of human history. Before the creation of the world, God chooses us as part of that plan. And Peter wants those who are chosen to know that, that it's God who does the choosing. 
and that in the new creation, our home will be with God. If you read in, in Revelation, it says God is going to restore. He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth, and that is the eventual end. But we cannot, we cannot look at that and lose hope. And we cannot look at this place and say, this is it. If we make this world our home, right, we're going to ignore our calling to redeem this world. That's what Christ wants to use us for. So we have to have a lasting hope that he is going to come back, a lasting hope that he is going to redeem. We have to be encouraged in this tension of already and not yet. Reading Colossians 1 about how Jesus is the focus of this. I'm not going to go there right now, but if you read this chapter, chapter 1 of Colossians, it talks about how in everything, in everything that's going on, Christ is working to redeem the world through his shed blood. And that he's the, he's the cornerstone, he's the linchpin in everything. All things consist in him. And this is his plan. So he says, I want you to embrace exile and election. Why embrace this tension? Why, why be okay with this idea of God is in control, he is doing a work, we're supposed to work alongside of him, but it's not yet complete. Why? How does it, how does it help us? How does it impact our hope? Well, if we don't understand what it means to be in exile, we'll try to build our own kingdom here. And you guys know this, you're tempted by this, you see people doing this all the time. Right? Steve talked about it when he was up here. As a young man, he was seeking to build his own kingdom where he would be king, where he would be recognized, and he would be glorified. And so if we don't know that we are exiles, that this is not supposed to be our home because God has not redeemed the world yet, that's what we're tempted to do. Make ourselves kings and queens and establish our own kingdom. And if we don't understand what it means to be elect or chosen, we're going to become depressed. We're going to think that there's nothing good that will ever happen that we either can save ourselves or can't be saved, depending, and we'll stop hoping in God, one way or the other. So this is why it's important, Peter says, for you all, for us, to understand that we are exiles. This is not our home. If we have lasting hope, it is in what is to come, not in what is, but we are chosen. We are chosen, and we were chosen before, before we chose God. So we're supposed to stand firm in grace. Peter says in 5.12 here, By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. What's the true grace of God, Peter? This is? You need a little bit more clarification. What is this? Well, again, if this was read in one sitting, he is referring back to everything that he's already written. So, What does he say about the grace of God? He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, a lasting hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's grace are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is what it means to have grace. And this is the true grace that God has given us that Peter is saying we ought to stand firm in. This idea that we've been saved. This idea that God chose us. That we have a lasting, living hope. So standing firm in grace is about being patient toward the not yet by rooting ourselves in what is already ours. And I put Romans 5.8 up there because Romans 5.8 reminds us that it's while we're still sinners that God chooses us. That he loves us. So this morning, as some of you are 
thinking about as you woke up and are thinking about what it means to have a new year in front of you. For some of you, that's very important. For some of you, it's just another day. But whether it's a new year or a new day, a new opportunity exists for you to recognize that God loves you while you're a sinner and that that grace is yours and that that grace can mean eternal salvation. Whether it's a new day or a new year or just this moment where you're recognizing that you have sinned, as it says in Romans 3.23, that, that you deserve death, where it says that in Romans, but that the free gift of God is eternal life. All of these things are true. So are you going to choose to stand firm in that grace today or not? Peter is exhorting us to do that. He says, stand firm in this grace, this grace that God has given us eternal life without us having to do a single thing. Every single system that the people are familiar with in Peter's day requires them to do something. They have to uh, perform sacrifices. They have to give up their land. They have to give up their money. They have to give up something in order to win the favor of the gods. And Peter's saying, no. Paul here in Romans is saying, no, you don't have to do anything. While you're still sinners, God chooses you and he loves you and he gives his son's life for you so that you can have everlasting hope in him. So through Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand. Paul says it here in Romans. Peter says it the same, that we need to stand in this grace, rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Think about that, having hope in the glory of God. We have hope in lots of things, right? Brooks talked about that on Christmas Eve. If you were here, he talked about having hope in all kinds of things that are not Jesus. Temporal things, momentary things, toys that we unwrap, kids going back to school all kinds of things that are just for the moment. But hoping in the glory of God is something else entirely. Hoping in the glory of God is hoping in what we were designed, created to hope in. So this is what Peter calls us to, what Paul calls us to. This is what it means to stand firm in grace. It's a lasting hope because it comes from and depends on Jesus who will never die. If we have hope in any of ourselves, we know that it's a temporary hope. If we have hope in any other person in this world, we know it's a temporary hope because every other person is going to die. But Jesus has already died and has conquered death and is no longer dead. And so he is a lasting hope. So standing firm in grace means having faith in Jesus, following him, living as he lived, serving as he served, dying as Jesus died. And that one's hard because a lot of us have as our hope if we think about it, if we talk about it, uh, if, we, if we are honest with ourselves, our hope when it comes to death is just that we would go quietly without much pain. How many of you have said something like that to somebody before? I just hope I go quietly in my sleep. Right? That's what we, when we talk about death, that's what, that's what our hope is. Yeah, nice warm day, pleasant day, maybe I go to the beach, come home, lay down, don't wake up. Right? Maybe eat a good meal. But standing firm in grace means recognizing that you can die in the same way that Jesus did and you still have everlasting life. And then that's better than anything that has happened in this life. That's hard. Most of us are not ready for that. Most of us are not ready to even suffer. But if we're going to stand firm in grace, we have to live as Jesus lived because Jesus has that love from the Father. That's what enables him to live the way he lives. And we also have that love from the Father. 
His service is motivated by the Holy Spirit. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we have that same spirit in us. And when he dies, it is for the joy that is set before him. And that joy is also ours. So we can have these same things. We can live as he lived. We can serve as he served. We can die as he died. What would you rather have truly? Would you rather go quietly in your sleep or would you rather die spending your life in the best way possible, which is laying down your life for your friends? There's no greater love than this, Scripture says, than to lay down your life for your friends. So how do you want to spend your years that are allotted to you? We are starting a new one now. Some of you have a general idea of where your time will come, you think. But how would you spend those years? Living as Jesus lived, dying as Jesus died, or just being comfortable. Stand firm in grace, Peter says. And love the body of Christ. 1 Peter 5.14 is a hard verse for us in the Midwest. I'm going to prove it to you in just a second. 1 Peter 5.14, you're getting scared now. Greet one another with a kiss of love. All right, everybody turn to their neighbor. Listen. Everybody turn to their neighbor and just give them the Midwest nod. Don't, don't kiss anybody. (laughs) We find it difficult in this culture to be physically close to other people, to share things with other people. Peter says this, greet one another with a kiss of love, not because, not because that culture has a problem with it, right? His culture is much closer physically They're much more used to being um, close together with one another, with spending time with one another. Jesus, uh, at the Last Supper, right, is reclining near the table, and John is reclining on or very near him. They're very close to one another. That's not the problem. Peter's not writing to address that problem. If he was writing to us, he would be writing to address that problem, right, because we have a problem with it. He is writing to say that love ought to be evident in the body of Christ. Love among and for the body of Christ ought to be evident, so evident that when you meet another member of the body, you should be able to express love, obviously. We struggle with this. This is hard for us. But Peter is not the only one who says this. John says this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. This is from the Gospel of John. Uh, John reporting what Jesus said, if you have love for one another. And he is not just, Jesus is not just talking about respect, right? He's not talking about the love that is just recognition that there are other important people in the room. He's talking about deep care and concern. And Paul says it this way, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So it is about being physically close. And we should spend more time turning to one another, greeting one another. Because it's not just about being in the building either. There are a lot of people here that attend Grace. I've heard this many times. I've even said something similar to younger, younger adults myself. There was a day when you used to come to church on Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday night. And there was another prayer meeting and there was another Bible study. But the coming to church, being in the building isn't the problem. Right? You guys could all be here six times a week and still not love each other. The issue is whether or not you care for one another. Look at what Paul says here. 
Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. That is so much more than just being in the same building. That's so much more than just sharing a home. A number of you share homes with people where there is no restoration and there is no peace. So you know instinctively that it's not just about being in the same space. That that's not what love is. But the body needs love. Why? Because it's by our love for one another that we're known as Christ's disciples. Because the world does not love. Not as it should. There's all kinds of emotion in the world. There's all kinds of heated desire in the world. There's all kinds of physical acting on that heated desire. But that's not love. What Peter is calling us to, Jesus in the book of John, uh, what Paul is calling us to is a body of believers who are caring for one another, loving one another. So let's try this again. I'm going to give you a couple minutes. Turn to your neighbor and just say hello. See how I built you up to that? You thought you were going to have to kiss? It's not that bad. Next week we'll do kissing. This is an instruction because it's beneficial for us. Peter is trying to show us that having lasting hope ought to have a lasting impact on the way we live our lives. If we have a lasting hope, then we should, we should be able to see a difference. First John, by this we know love, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. If you have lasting hope, John says here, it should impact the way that you live your life. If you have the world's goods and you see people who do not have the world's goods and you are not moved to provide for those people, you have to question whether the love of God is in you. And I know... I know it is true that there will be people who have need that you will encounter who are not responsible people. And you know that if you give them the world's goods, they will waste them. They will squander them. But that is between them and God. Just like having the world's goods and giving them is between you and God. He is calling you to love, not to parent, every single person you meet. Let us not walk in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love has to demonstrate itself if it's real, if it's there. So if you are in elect exile, if you believe that this world is not your home, that God has chosen you, and you believe that you have grace through faith, stand firm in it and love the body. I'm going to turn to the book of Jude. I've got Jude 17 through 25 there. I think um, I'll just start there. For those of you who don't know, Jude is, is just a very small book. It's probably one page in your Bible unless you have a very tiny print, a um, uh, very big print, sorry. Jude, there's no chapters, there's just verses 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved... Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. 
Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Jude, writing this, says, we must remember that there will be people among us who are scoffers. There will be people among us who say, it's not really important for us to love in this way. But we have to, Jude says, we have to see God's spirit in this. We have to see God's work and will in this. Because God's spirit is a spirit of love. His Holy Spirit is directing us toward Jesus Christ and eternal life. His Holy Spirit is directing us toward loving one another so that other people will see that and want to participate in the body of Christ. Titus says some things similar. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And Peter has already told us that those things are not going to produce hope. Even though we've run to them in the past, they're not going to produce lasting hope. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. If we have a lasting hope, it is because we recognize that the already part of the kingdom includes us being heirs of that kingdom, recipients. We are going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's what our lasting hope is, that we have everlasting life, that there is a new life, there is a new heaven and a new earth, and all pain and all sorrow and all dying pass away. That's our lasting hope. I don't know about you, but that's a good reminder for me at the beginning of the year, that as I look down the long tunnel of this year, 12 more months, 364-ish days, right? I see that I have a lasting hope in heaven prepared for me that does not spoil or fade, that it is my eternal salvation, and that that is forever, so much longer than a year, so much longer than a lifetime. That is forever. It is prepared for me, and it was given to me graciously when I did not deserve it. So I have to stand firm in that grace. And I have to love the body because this is what God is calling me to. This is my response to him. The grace is free. I didn't do anything, not because of righteousness that I had done. I have not done anything, but I have been given this gift. And so I need to respond in kind. I'm an elect exile. You, if you have called, been called and you have heard, you are an elect exile. You've been saved by grace through faith. You have the body and spirit of Christ. And hear that too. You have the spirit of Christ. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the spirit of Jesus Christ. The spirit that enabled him to go to the cross is the same spirit that enables you to get out of bed and go to work and be a parent and be a sibling and be a spouse. You have the spirit of Jesus Christ if you have been saved. So that's what it means to stand firm in grace is to recognize that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, indwelling you empowering you to do all things for Jesus. That is a hope that lasts. It's built on the promise of someone who has demonstrated their ability to keep their promises. And we know that Jesus can keep his promises because he said, 
Look at this temple. He says, I am going to let it be destroyed and then I'm going to build it back up. He gave himself over to death. He was raised to life. He has given us that same Holy Spirit. Peter says in 2.4 that as we come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen chosen and precious, we ourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's important that we love the body because God wants to use all of us, the whole body, to be a house for himself. Individually, we all have the Holy Spirit. Individually, we all have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus dwelling inside of us. If we have stood firm in grace, if we have accepted that gift, but more than that, he wants to use us all to be his temple. He wants to make his home inside of us. So individually, as living stones, collectively as the temple of God. There is no more temple. We don't go to a physical place to worship God. If Grace Community Church, this building, were destroyed tomorrow, the church would be fine. All of you would be just fine. You don't need this place. You can love each other anywhere, even at that high V that finally showed up. Right? You can love each other wherever you are. You can serve one another wherever you are. John Y. likes to call Dunn Brothers Coffee Grace West because there are so many meetings that happen there at Dunn Brothers. Right? That might as well be the church. Anywhere the church is gathered is where the church is. So get together, love one another, because God wants to use you. He wants to use all of us as his temple so that the world can see him because he wants to save more. Read the scriptures. God wants to bring more men and women to himself. He wants you to be instruments of that. He wants you to go to your neighbor. He wants you to go across the world spreading the gospel. And we cannot do that if we don't love one another. We have to love one another because that's the grace that we've been given. I want to give you guys a picture of where we're going this year uh, because it is with purpose. It is with intention. We are starting this Living Stone series next week and we are going to examine the lives of elect exiles. More than any other place in Scripture, it is obvious, it is evident that these men and women who are sojourning, who are out wandering, nomads, are exiles. They don't have a home. They're longing for a home. And God uses uh, Adam. He uses uh, Abraham. He uses Moses. He uses Noah. He uses all of these men and women to show us what it means to live as an elect exile. And then uh, in uh, June, we're going to get to the book of Judges, and we're going to address this question of what happens when everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And we're not talking about your, your house on Christmas morning. We're talking about when a society goes this way, what happens? Uh, every August, we spend a couple of sermons talking about where we're going as a church, so expect that again this coming August. And then, like I said, in September, we're going to go to the Gospel of Mark, where we'll talk about what it means for the kingdom of God to be at hand, because there is, there is hope in that as well. We want to bring you to that. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for understanding us. Thank you for wandering this earth with us so that we know you understand what it means to feel like you have no home. You understand what it means to feel like it's hard to love because we are hard to love. It's hard for us to love ourselves the way that you love us and then to love others as we love ourselves. But you came and you gave your life And you chose us, Lord, while we were still sinners. So we praise you and we thank you. 
We pray, Lord, for your strength, for your Holy Spirit to fill us, to give us the ability, the power, Lord, to love each other well so that the world will see it and desire to love each other well. You want to redeem all things. Lord, you are reconciling all things through your shed blood. Help us to see how we can take part in that today. Pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Have a good year. Go in grace.